Hi, I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need. And this is another edition of Bar Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. A podcast by people who don't have to be famous, they just have to be interesting. Each episode will tackle topics big and small, and sometimes tiny, faced by attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other fascinating people who know every day you wake up, it's a good day, but it takes a little more to make it a great one. I've got a great guest with me today, Marcel LeBlanc, who is not only a dear friend, but a a very successful entrepreneur and a very interesting person. I think you're going to enjoy listening to her and our conversation today. Marcel is the owner and founder of uh, The Velvet Box, which you may have heard of before, a very upscale, uh, up-class lingerie novelty and gift store. And uh, she's been kind enough to come in and share her experiences. We're going to talk a little bit about what she's been doing, what she's come from, how she got here, and what the future holds. Why don't you say hi? Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, Brad. Absolutely. Well, let's just start by saying, you know, you describe what is Velvet Box? Velvet Box is a really upscale lingerie and novelty boutique. Most people are uncomfortable going into a traditional adult store. And so I built a really classy, beautiful store, put them in really nice locations, trained fantastic people to talk to customers, and created a wonderful experience. And bottom line, it just puts everybody at ease. Well, I've been into uh, a couple of your different stores, and and they truly are very upscale and very, very nice. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, your your staff. How, How do you separate yourself from your competitors? Well, I like to say that uh, I'm in the people business. I just happen to sell vibrators. Um, (laughs) After being 10 years in business, I realized that um, my passion is not necessarily retail, but it is people and leadership. And I really love developing people and helping them along their journey, uh, helping them in life. And um, Inspire Passion is our mantra, Uh, but not only for our customers, but I'm hoping for our um, associates as well. If I can find uh, some passion in their life and help them along their journey, that's what I'd love to do. That's what gives me joy. And the stores themselves seem so uh, incredibly different than any other uh, novelty shop uh, that I've ever been into. And uh, what do you attribute that to? I mean, how do you make yourself stand out that way? Well, um, I think we've been really bold by uh, spending quite a bit of money on design and layout of the stores. Everything is custom fixtures, and we uh, pay probably a little bit more rent and, than everyone else by putting them in nicer areas, areas that I'd want to go to and hang out and um, and be in with higher traffic. And, and then the layouts, uh, as far as product and stuff, we don't have any video. Uh, we're not 18 and older. We don't have any nudity or no flesh-colored body parts or anything like that. So, And everything seems so bright and open when I walk into one of your, your stores or your locations. It's not, not dark or seedy or in the corner or anything like that. That, that seems to be uh, a really great concept for, for your store. And believe it or not, coming from mainstream retail, um, we spend a ton of money on our lighting packages. I mean, just a whole lot of time and effort is spent on how many 
uh, foot candles are going to fall in the store and and the type of lighting that we're going to use and the layouts and the store managers are trained on um, refocusing spotlights when we put up new displays and that kind of thing. We, we take a lot of care. Lighting is part of the mood. It makes you feel good. Lighting, smell, two of the uh, biz- biggest senses, you know, is vision and, and, and smell. I was watching the, uh, the your website before you came in today, and I, I, I turned on the video, and uh, and embarrassingly, I had not watched that before as long as we've known each other. But I, I was really impressed by the fact that you uh, put a lot of intensive training with your sales associates. What what goes into that? Oh, uh, that's 10 years in the making. We have something called Velvet Box University, and the sales associates are not only taught about anatomy and toys. We also touch base on um, some illnesses like cancer or um, um, if there's any kind of uh, uh, menopause, women that go through things. So they have a a good awareness of, of some of the illnesses that go on. And then on top of that, our training, we also coach a lot on how to just be kind to our people. There's we, we uh, I'm a big believer in coaching on conflict resolution. And when I say conflict, it's about more about organizing your thoughts. A lot of people are um, very passionate sometimes and they let emotions get uh, the best of them. And I have uh, maybe at least 25 to 30 women working with me at some point in time. And so it does get kind of passionate sometimes between people. And so I, I like to train and coach them as well on just how to organize your thoughts and how to deliver things, intent versus impact. And because um, I think I'm a true believer that if you take care of your people who take care of their people, then they're going to take care of your customers. And yeah. um, I've always wanted a place that's a good place to work a place that you you're happy to get up and go to and you have fun and you respect your coworkers. that that means a lot to me absolutely and it means a lot to just customers as we all know we walk into different restaurants and have totally different experiences mm-hmm. and they could be the almost identical restaurant but it's how they're managed and how the people treat you and interact with you that makes a huge difference but one of the things too that uh, i know that you bring that many of your competitors if any do and that is the uh, uh, therapy or the the counseling sessions that you have how would you describe those well we have a class series that we started right after 50 shades of gray the gray the book came out and i was uh, very blessed to be able to be introduced to elizabeth boatman who is uh, from the fort worth area and her resume is quite long but um she's she's uh, going for her doctorate she's a therapist i wish i had it in front of me here she's the only certified sexual health educator in the dfw metroplex and one of about i think three in the entire state of texas which to kind of sum it up is uh, someone who teaches things that are scientifically accurate and she's really on brand for us. Um, and she's also got a, a master's in education. And so we've developed a program where we teach lectures. And um, Fifty Shades of Grey really ramped things up for us. Our first class, we had a few classes here and there trying to find people that were going to be a good fit for us. And then we had a class uh, intro to BDSM and that, that uh, book really touched on a lot of things. And so that was Beth's first, first class. It was in August and we never had more than about 20 people show up to a class. That's a lot. Well, um, my COO Brandon says, you know, I have a feeling this is going to be different. We're going to have more people. 
I said, well, let's go crazy and uh, put out 50 chairs. 120 people showed up. Holy cow. And I we had the capacity for about 50 people. And so uh, I'm running around pulling yoga mats out of my car. People are sitting on the floor. It is 105 in Fort Worth. And it was... It was a it was a good disaster. I mean, we we had to finish the class early. I gave everyone coupons and thanked them, but then we uh, sort of regrouped and said, "Okay, we're going to need to um, have some um, some way to wrangle everyone and figure out how many people we're going to have in a class." So we started charging ten dollars. That way, we can just figure out who's coming, and we capped them at sixty people. So we have uh, a number of classes that will sell out, um, and most of them, all of them, but one are a lecture series. So um, that's really interesting. I mean, how often do you have these classes? Uh, we have them every other Friday. Yeah, so, Beth's got her own practice, and she's also still going through some schooling, and then writing the curriculum and teaching for us. So um, that's you know we're at the end of our bandwidth there, but we're currently trying wow. to develop more therapists now. That's that's got to say a lot about your business model to have that many people come into the classes that are associated with your store that uh, really speaks volumes of that this isn't something that your 18-wheeler trucker used to drive by Mm -hmm. on the side of the highway. This is a really upscale, uh, first-class outfit, a a store uh, where everybody can feel safe and comfortable and uh, not intimidated. Well, people are not getting their questions answered. You know, being in retail, when I moved to Texas, I figured out that um, there's – there's just a lack of education. We most certainly aren't teaching anything in our schools uh, about communication and relationships. And um, uh, people are quite litigious these days. So doctors, when I got divorced and I went to a doctor and asked him a bunch of questions, just, you know, medical questions about STDs and stuff. And he's like, look, you can, you can Google all this stuff. That's, this is just not what I do. And I have had um, I met a gentleman at Rotary once that invited me to lunch, and I had no idea why. Um, but he said, you know, um, he was married to a younger woman, and he had radical uh, a radical prostatectomy, and they weren't able to have intimacy anymore. And he, he was about to, you know, lose his marriage. And so he just came in and spoke to one of our associates, and he says it changed my life. And I, you know, I don't know, I took for granted, I don't know what we, what we were doing, but that education piece, um, I, I like to give it to the community because it, I think it just helps everyone at the same time. Well, obviously there's a need. There uh, is a big need for it. Because yes. the response has been wonderful, it sounds like. Well, that's that's kind of where you are now. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the past. I mean, first of all, let's let's let everybody know how we met each other. Uh, we met because we joined uh, Entrepreneurs Organization or EO, as we call it, which is a what is the official descriptor for EO? How would you describe it? I would say it's a um, peer-to-peer network of entrepreneurs in over 60 countries that we you know we learn and grow from each other i i joined eo because uh i practiced law for approximately 20 plus years or probably close to 30 at the time and i was tired of hanging around with lawyers (laughs) and i finally came to the conclusion uh wrongly or rightly i think absolutely correctly that 
I'm not as much of a lawyer as I am a businessman who happens to be in the business of, of practicing law. And once I hung around other business people and really uh, let that soak in and learn the business aspect of practicing law, uh, it made a, a tremendous difference in the way I look at business, the way I look at law, and in just the success of my practice. And it's been very, very beneficial for me from that standpoint. What did you find that benefited you the most with EEO? Well, I got a random email one day um, talking a little bit about EO, and they, they invited me to a, a test drive. And um, I was in that part of my part of my business in the early years where uh, I talked to just about anybody because starting a business like mine in Texas, uh, where it was really conservative. Not many people would talk to me anyway, and I was, you know, really trying to market my my business, and so I showed up to the test drive, and and um, right about then, uh, well, shortly after, uh, shortly before that, I had gone through a legal battle with Hillwood and Ross Pro Jr. They sued us um, in our first location, and that was probably the loneliest I'd ever been. Um, when you have your everything that you've ever worked for and you are not sure that it's just going to be gone and um, you don't sleep for weeks and weeks not knowing. I, I'm sure you have clients that go, I want to know what's going to happen now. And you're Absolutely. like, this is not a short game. No one's going to know. Just get some rest. We're going to do the best we can. Well, you know, that just falls all on deaf ears. And, um, and you know, I didn't have anybody to, to talk to about that. I'm a business owner, so you can't go. And I, I would tell friends sometimes, and they're like, well, yeah, but you could just get a job and, you know, it's not a big deal. And I'm, but people like us can't just get a, a job. You know, we're virtually unemployable. You know, we, we like to create change and grow things and call and, the shots. And call the shots. And you know, we don't like to be told what to, I mean, it didn't, it just, it was everything to me. So, you know, you, you didn't have anybody to talk to. And so I, I met a couple of people. And I'm like, man, what do I have to lose? I mean, it's not the end of the world. I'll, I'll try and see if I can find people that I like. And it's been the best money I've ever spent. The best. I'm an avid learner anyway. My core values are learning and travel. So it, it goes right down that path for learning for me. Well, it, it, it's absolutely a great, fabulous learning experience. You know, we, we've been fortunate enough to be in the same forum mm-hmm. together with EO. And, and we've got to know each other very, very well over the years. But sometimes I feel like the, even with the closeness of forum, there's so much that we don't know about each other. And I'd like to dive into that just sure. a little bit uh, to the extent you want to. But uh, where, where did you grow up? Tell us about your upbringing. And, I grew up in a little town in Abbeville, Louisiana. It's uh, uh, outside of Lafayette, not a very big, very big town. I went to um, private Catholic school when I was in grade school and uh, graduated from um, public school in Maurice, Louisiana, where there was like, I think, one stop stoplight, caution light during the evening. You know, it turned to a caution light Maurice. at night. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I showed 4-H. I loved animals. And so I showed horses when I was growing up. Yeah, well, when, small town stuff. Did you uh, bolt out of there like a lot of people do when they grow up in small towns? They can't. I they, did. they either rest there, the you know, kind of nest there the rest of their lives, or they bolt and get the heck out of Dodge. And I guess you you were a bolter. I was. I, was, I think I was the only bolter that I know of. Um, 
most of my family moved within three to five miles of mom and dad um, or just lived with mom and dad. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be real vulnerable here. So in um, grade school and high school, I had an eating disorder and I was in therapy for a little while. And I did not get along with um, my sister, my my mom very well. And uh, not that it was a bad place to grow up. I mean, I had everything. We were upper middle class and, and, uh, but it was just, it was just rough for me. And so I was in therapy and I had a therapist that said, uh, you know, the best thing you can do is move out. That's the best thing you can do. And it really resonated with me, but it scared the daylights out of me because sure. I'm like, where does one go? <laughs> like, where do we go? I mean, you know, do I go to the next town? Most people move five miles away. We, we vacationed in places like the panhandle of Florida if we did. I mean, where does one go? And so that always really resonated with me. And um, I ended up meeting um, a guy um, that showed horses as well. And we got a job in Southern California the central coast of California outside of uh, Solvang in Buellton training horses and riding there. And so when I was 17, I moved out and um, it, it was a, uh, it wasn't a really, it wasn't like, you know, you're going to college, let us pack you a bag and make sure everything's <laughs> great. So, you know, it was, it was a volatile rough edges, rough edges <laughs> kind of move. And I, um, lived in a converted stall in a barn and shared a bathroom with six Mexicans and worked for this horse trainer. And he was number one in the world at the time. And he was probably one of the um, most amazing equine people I've ever met. But he was, I learned a lot from him. Um, I don't think he really loved women. Uh, and he, he was pretty rough on us, but... Um, but I, I love the job and I love the horses. What kind of training? What, what were you so, doing with the horses? Uh, so we had, I think in time, uh, he showed, we had Arabian horses and half Arabs. And so he showed, uh, his specialty was saddle seat, um, English horses, open English horses. And then we had some driving horses. And then his wife did Western pleasure horses. And so 60 horses in training. I mean, we just got them ready. We traveled um, and stayed with them going to shows and stuff like that so when we hauled you know we'd hauled 20 something horses cross country here and there and uh just it was 24 7 you know you lived with the horses and i i'm, I'm a horse person i love horses yeah. i i don't have a dog anymore i have a horse and a bird and i'm looking for another <laughs> horse so I'm, I'm that person yeah you know and my bird has a nanny so i don't know <laughs> well how, how long did you do that um well I did it for a little over a year because in the back of my head, I had my father always saying, you got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. And I'm like, my God, I'm going to have to go to college. You know, I was still kind of tethered mentally. And so there was a, a client there that her and I were the same age. And she's talking about going to college. And I'm like, well, where are you going to college? And she's like, Cal Poly. And I'm like, oh, I said, maybe I'll go to Cal Poly. I don't, I don't even know where Cal Poly was. And that was back when you like, had to call and they sent you stuff at something in the mail and you had to look through these paper things. and mark. No, no getting it online. I mean, there was no Googling it and seeing what the campus looked like. I mean, I just went totally blind. And, um, and so I, I signed up and then I, I just moved and 
got a job and I don't know. I mean, sometimes I look back going, how in the hell did I survive? How did I feed myself? We just hustle all the time. Well, just hustle, hustle, hustle. It's probably all not the time. something you would do in retrospect if you know, you know, no, because you know it's too much now. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. You, you didn't yeah. realize how, how young and naive yeah. you were. I mean, I remember getting my first job when I moved um, to Cal to San Luis Obispo and I was um, grooming dogs uh, and I was being paid cash under the table so she was paying me five dollars an hour and I thought I had hit the mother load I was like this is gonna be easy street this is and it, it was it was a terrible job I would get these calls where people were like I I, um, I know I'm late for my appointment but I'm still trying to catch my cat and I'm like, I'm going to have to wash and dry that cat. Oh, my God. This is awful. You know, $5 an hour. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I made it through. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, what, did you get a degree? I did. What in? Bachelor of Science in Horticulture and Greenhouse Production. And what did you want to do with that? I have no idea. Because that know. doesn't have anything to do it with horses. It has to do with anything. Uh, I love the science. I, I right. love science. I love plants. I was living in California. Uh, when I worked at the horse farm, we weren't far from Santa Barbara. They had this huge orchid farm farm there that I would go, and so I'm like, okay, I'll I'll do horticulture, and, I'll, and then then I get out into the real world, and I'm like, well, I, I don't like any of these jobs. They don't pay a whole lot, and um, so then I was stuck again. I didn't know what to do with this degree, so I'm taking odd jobs here and there, and then um, you know computers start to come online. The one computer I had in college, I you know dried my my undergarments on i don't think i ever turned it on i paid somebody to to write my you know to type my thesis because i'm like i don't you know i'm like i can't type anything i don't know what's going on and uh i think they gave us an email account where you had to go and a professor would you had to go to the library and you had any how it email just scared me i'm like i don't understand what they're talking about there i'm like they're going to send us a message on in this computer thing i'm like how are we going to know and so um yeah, and then I started taking computer courses, and uh, I put my resume out on Monster, um, and I had a call one day from uh, a website that needed a DVD buyer, and so they were uh, they sold adult DVDs, and so I went in for an interview, pickings were slim, went in for an interview, and I'm sitting there, and they're asking me all these questions, and you know, when you're in your 20s, you're, you're you're just nervous about everything. Right. You're just all you do is you want a job to pay the bills so that you can sleep at night. You don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. And uh so they offered me a job for forty percent more than I was already making, and I didn't know a thing about porn. Not a thing. Not a thing. But I'm like, okay, if you think I'm qualified. <laughs> oh my I gosh. mean, I, you know, I'll I'll just kick the can down the road and get a couple paychecks and see what happens. And I actually loved the job. I loved it, you know. It, and I think it kind of goes back to um, how you love business. I like business. I just um, happen to sell toys in retail stores, toys in lingerie. But I love just business, right? And um, so I love the I love the operations of, of the business and and getting to know people. It's a very small community, and and they were very nice people. It's really cool people. I think people would be surprised at at um, the type of people that we met in the adult business. Wonderful people. Well, how did how did you transition from there to wanting to own your own store and opening up your own store? I kind of went through the, the, the um, 
the chain of things where I was a buyer for a while and in there in there was a husband for a little while um, but I went from buyer to working for uh, a studio that was uh, making movies and I started out as a receptionist which bored me to tears in about you know a week yeah so I, I started poking my head around going what can I do here I surely I can make this quicker faster better so I started uh, helping make box covers um, then I started running the the board for um, um, putting things out for release dates and stuff like that and uh, doing the purchase orders and then um, still bored you know I'm still consuming more stuff and so I did uh, um, some camera work I was helping some of the uh, producers go out I would go to Hollywood just to pick up some extra dollars and buy some of the clothing and the outfits for the girls and uh, maybe interviewing some of the girls and kind of putting him we 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 had a our our studio had about i think probably five or six directors at the time so and we'd have agents bring in people and i was just sorting that all out i'm like you know there's just paper everywhere let's just put this on a spreadsheet we're going to organize it and everything's going to run really smoothly everyone's going to know where everyone's at and it's going to be great then i started doing um the compliance the federal compliance paperwork and so i, I just kind of moved through the ranks then eventually i took a job in um, in sales so I was selling DVDs uh, direct to retail stores uh, big chain stores that kind of thing and then I uh, started I worked for a company a repta company that was based out of Europe I did some of their North American operations and um, sold their products so there was rights I sold rights um, you have countries the majority of the porn at the time was made in the um in the u.s in chatsworth and so you, you know uh, france italy pl places like that would come in and ask to buy the rights to certain movies so i was selling rights to countries and that was just i was that was the the deal for me because when they uh, started having me travel you know there was a lot of european shows and i'd never been to europe before and they're like you know do you want to go to the berlin show and i'm like my god and you're gonna pay for it and i get a stamp on my passport i've been carrying this passport around forever <laughs> i don't even think i've been to mexico maybe but once and not further past tijuana you know and so then you know there and then it took me to paris and then you know spain and i, I just i just started traveling and it was it was amazing it was amazing i was just not it leaving opened your eyes oh gosh yeah yeah yeah. Well, so then, then how did you wind up in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, to to open your store? So I was. Um, I mean, this I, is no Paris or no, Rome or no, London. No, no, it wasn't. So I was. I, I I had a customer that I was selling um, um, DVDs and novelties to. I worked for a stint for a little while for a novelty manufacturer doing sales, and I had a customer that had a chain of stores that was, I think, in five states, and they had been after me for a couple of years to come do buying in some operations and i'm like man it's 70 and sunny in california i love it here i'm traveling all over the place and then my dad got cancer and so living in louisiana so i called him up and said hey you know i'll consider the job and moving um and i had this grand notion that you know i'm going to move home and everyone's going to get along because we got along so well <laughs> when you left when i left <laughs> <laughs> so um i took the job and uh I had the op opportunity to live in Tennessee, Iowa, Texas, and Colorado. And I'm like, well, I don't like the cold. And I've always loved horses, and I've always loved cutting horses. And so Weatherford is the cutting horse capital of the world. So I'm like, I'm going to pick Fort Worth. Perfect. So that's how I got to Texas. 
and I got the job and I hated it. It was awful. Um, the owner did not put a lot of money back into his stores. His people were paid barely minimum wage. And I, I think now looking back on it, that, that people thing and treating people nicely it was always there. Sure it was. Because he and I battled all the time, just nonstop. Uh, you know, we had a store in Memphis that I visited one time that, um, you know, I, I feel like you need to take pride in the place that you work. And so that was one of the first things I did was just start cleaning these places up and organizing them. And there was a store in Memphis and I walked in and he had these custom monogrammed um, entry mats, you know, to wipe your feet on as you come in the door. And it, and it was crooked. And so I bent over. First thing I did, I walk in and I bent over to straighten it. And the girl says, no, please don't do that. And I said, well, why would you have a crooked mat here? And she's like, it hides the blood stain. She says, someone was bludgeoned here and they won't change the carpet. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. The ceilings are leaking. And, you oh know, this God. is just not the way I was raised. So, you know, I took this job with all these promises and I was just so unhappy and everyone was unhappy and I'm like, I just can't do this. And um, so at the same time, a um, couple things were happening. The uh, One of my biggest clients was uh, a chain of stores in Dallas. They have uh, stores in Dallas, Austin, San Antonio and Florida. And I knew their buyer. And so I, I called him and I said, you know, um, hey, it's Marcel and I live in Texas now and I don't know anybody. And he's like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. And and so uh, we kind of developed a friendship a little bit more and he's very inquisitive about competitors. And so he would ask me lots of questions and I would answer all of them. <laughs> and, in, and in the uh, interim, we probably raised the sales uh, and the morale of the stores. I mean, at least 30%, maybe your 40% stores, the ones you were of the ones that I was working for. Right. Uh, but I had told him, I said, you know, we were sitting around talking one time and I said, I, I think I'm just going to move back. This is just, I'm, I'm pretty unhappy. On top of being in Fort Worth uh, in 2007, you know, and keep in mind, I lived in L.A. So you have everything available in L.A. And I'm like, there's no Ethiopian food. People eat hamburgers and barbecue all the time, neither of which I Tex-Mex. ate. Tex-Mex. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, this is, this is, this, I, you know, I was struggling. And yeah. then on top of that, I couldn't make friends very easily. I, you know, at my age, I was still single. I didn't have, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So, like, I didn't have anything in common with anyone. And I, was, I was just struggling terribly. And at the same time, uh, in 2008, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned a law in the state of Texas m- making sex toys illegal. And uh, and what that meant was Vice would come through the stores, and we had to have these stickers on them that said for cake decoration only, and they had to be like on a certain tile. I, I, it was just, it was really ludicrous right. that taxpayers were spending money having law enforcement come in and make sure that there's a sticker on a sex toy somewhere in a building and but they were but um at that time uh the fifth circuit overturned it and we had a a fantastic uh attorney he was one of the top first amendment attorneys steve swander in the country that lived here i knew steve and steve was a wonderful man and um and so Steve and I were friends. He he went to uh, uh, UCLA, and I think it was UCLA. And so, you know, we were, I think, the only two Democrats, and we knew each other, and we sort of just, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now there are three. <laughs> yeah. Now I know you. Now you know, you know me. That's so, exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so Steve and I were uh, talking, and he said, you know, there's there's room 
for something that's really nice here. And, and, and at the same time, we had some female manufacturers that were coming online uh, with toys that were beautiful packaging. It was an all realistic kind of stuff. And I, you know, I had carried around this notebook with me. I still have that notebook. It's like 10 years old. And I would just, I would see things in retail stores going, oh, I like that table. That would be really cool. You know, I, I like this feature of the, in that feature. And I just had put something together in, in my head about what I would have this, this dream store looking like that we, everyone was happy. And, and, and my business partner and I, he's my business partner now, but, um, uh, we were talking and he said, well, what else would you do? And I, so I had explained to him the concept and he's like, he said, well, that's interesting. He said, why don't you just do it? And uh, I said, well, I don't I really have half a million dollars lying around and, or anything lying around for that. Cause you know, I, I lost a house in 2008 and the whole housing debacle, debacle in California. Yeah. And I mean, it just, you know, I was, I was, I was just not in a place to be able to invest in starting in a business. And so uh, we decided to do it. And I think he, he comes from, he's second generation adult stores coming from drive-ins and things like that. And, and not that there's anything wrong with those stores. I mean, there's a place for everybody. Sure. There just technically wasn't a place for, you know, what I would call our customers at the time. Different clientele. Yeah, totally different clientele. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of the stores. It's just, it's just different clientele, different niche. And uh, I, you know, and I think he thought it was going to be kind of entertaining. I'm like, you know, we we're gonna, it, kind of like a little experiment, and and we did it, and it was it was it was very successful. It was hard, but it was successful. You know, I mean, I remember him talking to someone one time, and and uh, I think it was my financial advisor, and she says, you know, Marcel's doing so good, and he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, she's breaking even, and. 18 months and he's like oh oh he says well, what would you call good and she's like well what would you call good and he's like it he says we had one store that took us almost a week to break even but yeah and i'm yeah and, and you know so i think he was entertained about the whole thing and and uh and now now he's on board and and over the last 10 years retail is just changing i mean it's it's just changing and so here we are well do, do you find that you're uh you're talking about changing are you talking about moving towards online rather than retail itself or? both i think i think uh online retail really hurt uh, you know i probably would do double my volume of business if i had to guess but it, it did it did take a, a, a quite a chunk out of retailers especially adult retailers but it's not gone i mean people people still need an experience you know you mm-hmm. you can go as a husband and and purchase a sex toy on amazon but what do you do with it how do you how do you introduce that into the relationship where you know uh, it doesn't sound like um, you're coming home and saying honey uh, there's something wrong I don't know if it's with you or us, uh, but I brought this home. And, you know, what does that look like? And then you're on the couch for a week. So, you know, Amazon doesn't handle that. Right. Uh, So there's people prefer to pay a premium saying, hey, you know, this is how you can work this into your life. We also have classes. We have online literature that you can um, get some ideas from. Uh, we have a spice things up page that gives you and, and it's all about communication i mean it's it's communicating expectations you know to your partner yeah you know uh it's not only communication to about 
between couples, but communication to your, your customers and communication from you to your employees. And I know you and I have talked about uh, the book Traction and the EOS system of uh, operating a business. And uh, when I first read that book, it, it just it floored me. It, it revolutionized the way I thought about my business. And, and we implemented it, and I know you did too. But I think the thing that really forced me to do was find my culture. It's not that we didn't have a culture. It was here. It was just kind of underneath. We didn't mm-hmm. we didn't recognize it. And so once we identified it and really brought it out into the open, uh, it made all of my employees much more appreciative of their workplace. They enjoyed it. They knew what we stood for. It was it was identified. Have you found that same thing to be true when you Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people say what traction says, but traction gave you the map. That that exactly it just gave you the map. And uh, so, you know, we we took the map and went down the road and that was that was big for us. And um, culture, it's you know, it takes years to develop that. And um, but now, you know, our core values, we we came up with those core core values together. You know, I didn't just decide one day we're going to have some core values. I mean, we sat in a room for three days with our executive team and it got heated sometimes, but you know, we have to come back, come up with why we come to work and what we do, why we do what we do. And we all have to be on board. And then we have to hire people that are going to, you know, share those same values. And, uh, and, and, and our, our values and our culture is everywhere. You know, we, we, um, we train with it. We, uh, coach with it. We evaluate people with it. There's, I mean, our culture and our, our core values is everywhere. We use it on a daily basis. Yeah, and it really is true because we hire, fire, motivate all around our, our culture and our core values. And and really, whenever I'm talking to to a lawyer or a paralegal or or anybody for that matter that's that's an employee of the firm, we always center it around. Well, but are we really achieving this core value by doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, this is how. Don't you think it'd be better we'd go this way rather than that way and achieve what the ultimate goal is from that rather than looking at uh, you weren't here from nine to five? You know that's that's nonsense. Yeah. But what were you doing? Why were you not here? Let's figure out: Are you getting towards that core value? Are we are we taking care of our customers and our clients appropriately? Mm-hmm. And that that was mind boggling in some respects to know it was there but just find it all of a sudden yeah you know, like getting the roadmap to it yeah and then getting people to stick with it you know i think my biggest achievement in the last couple of years is i'm i'm an avid reader and i'm either reading you know like historic history historical fiction or leadership books and um i read a lot of leadership books yeah. and so i started uh, wanting my executive team to read leadership books and you know i'd ask them and they'd kind of begrudgingly do it but it, it's taken probably a couple years till now they're chomping at the bit wanting books because they're seeing how it, it impacts their life. I highly recommend, I think the turning point for us was um, uh, Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn never wrote a book, but he was um, he was a motivational speaker that I, uh, oh gosh, that was really big in the 90s. And I remember buying his um I remember standing there at, at a, a leadership thing in the 90s and wondering if I could afford the extra money from the video cassette to the CD because CDs had just, just come, come out. out. Oh, man. I'm like, do I spend the extra money? And it was the art of exceptional living. And he was a coach to Tony Robbins, but he was just really funny. He's, you know, he always threatened to write a book, uh, Jesus and Children Should Pay Taxes, and Here's Why. <laughs> and... Uh, 
and and he loved coaching children as well and and you know if you could and you should and and you don't it's probably neglect these kinds of things i mean just things that live with you that that are just basic life principles and coming up with your own personal philosophy rather than you know sailing through life with you know no rudder yeah and letting life happen to you and and uh he talked a lot about gratitude and and you know saying you know this is the best country in the world he says people come here for opportunity no one ever says you know if i could just get to poland then things would be great you know everything would fall into place if i just get you know you can have anything you want in america and in that type of gratitude and that was the big turning point i think for my people that that really stuck with them and um and, but we, we read a lot as a group. Uh, in order to work for us, you have to, to read a lot to, to run a store and, and be on the executive team. Um, you have to get through a, a, a gateway of probably half a dozen books, uh, even just to you know, sit at the executive table and then continue reading with us. Well, how, how big is your company now? How, how many stores does Velvet Box have? We have five stores. And how big is your executive team? Eight. And how many employees, on average, do you... 25 to 30. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. it's a constant... Yeah. Do you find that your uh, sales associates stay with you for a while, or is it the always kind of a rotation? You know, the biggest thing for me with scaling is um, figuring out uh, how to create... Because I, I can't, you know, I can't do it all. So how do you inspire and create leaders at the store level? that are going to take care of the people and coach the people with the same mind frame and mindset that I have um, at the store level to stay. Yeah. yeah. And, it's a huge and problem. It's, it's, it's tough. Challenge. It's a huge challenge. Yeah. It's tough. You know, and uh, I mean, I think, you know, you can drop $10 million in my lap right now and I don't think I, I would open 50 stores because it would it would tarnish the brand right. we, we wouldn't have those same people with the same core values you just can't go out and hire a bunch of people and go hey you know uh be a great employee and 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 you have to embrace radical candor and you know, and, and and all these things and then you have to start reading i mean it just it just won't happen that that takes time you have to hopefully bring people up through the ranks and um and have them with you for a while on top of that there are a lot of people just Shopping centers just most of the time won't take our money, so well, that's another you know, problem. <laughs> you you kind of hit on that a, a minute ago about the lawsuit with Hillwood, and um, uh, I was going to ask you, what what has been your biggest challenge as far as getting into the shopping centers? that, that you Because you're not trying to get in some little strip mall down on no, uh, no, yeah, you know, no. local highway in the dark. You, you're looking for high-profile uh, high traffic type A centers, yeah. Type A centers, and so uh, how has that been for you? Well, it's the stigma. Um, you know, I, I don't have a passion for real estate, so it's been hard finding a person that's going to represent us appropriately and properly and use the right terminology. And we're not an easy. We're we're not we're you know we we don't sell fried chicken. You know, everybody knows what chicken involves. You know, everybody knows what dresses involve. But you need to be able to be polished enough to be able to talk about our brand. And most of the time, uh, it's the stigma. You know, most people we're we're new. No no one's done what we've done right. in the U.S. 
they're starting to now but i mean we we just we i i think it was really radical when we said we're just not going to have dvds we're not even going to make this place 18 and over you know we're i mean if you want to bring your toddler in it might get awkward if you bring your 16 year old in but you know but you know little ones can come in if moms are you know going about their errands during the day and they need something they can come in and 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 the kids won't know what it is um but the stigma of the average adult store is is still there so people don't know sure it is and so you have to get people you have to get landlords comfortable with that and then um and then you i think the biggest challenge is just even getting them to come uh and into the store and and that's that's uh that's what i generally try and have them do is say hey you know visit us is this what you had in mind because I'm just as picky as they are. You know, I like a nice shopping center. I like a well-run shopping center. I like a super clean shopping center. You know, I mean, I mean, even uh, even going into the training of the employees, when they go out and they pick up the parking lot, you know, they, you know, this West 7th location, I mean, if they look to our neighbor and our neighbor has trash, they pick up the trash on both sides of them and in the street. We don't just pick up the trash where we are. You know, we, we, you know, we, we're going to be good neighbors and, and I want a, ten, uh, a landlord that's going to be the same way. So um, there's not a ton of those. It's, you know, it's slow. It's a slow process. Well, uh, and I know from, from our previous conversations that it's not only the landlord, it's the other tenants sometimes that give the pushback. Well, they're that, scared. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you have big chains sometimes that have um, uh, language in there. Uh, that you know they're lawyered up and 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 there's already existing language for adult bookstores and you know this and that and bathhouses and whatever else that they can possibly think about that we aren't so it, it's such a gray line and so you know, I have a landlord going well yeah but it says an adult store and technically you're this but we don't we don't require an SOB by the city we're not 18 and over so we're not we don't have to be you know a certain feet from here and there and so the, so it's just it's it's different yeah it's new. And, and that's the, you said sob a lot of people may not know sexually oriented business, business license, license. Yeah. So, so some people need licenses yeah yeah some some places need licenses and they can only be allowed in certain parts of town yeah and that's not your store so no. y'all, y'all don't no. have to have that and uh you know with all of that going on you still find time to travel which you said was one of your true passions and uh your horse your yes. cutting horse yes tell us a little bit about the cutting horse you know it's the hardest equestrian sport i've ever done and it um it goes right in line with my core value of learning not only do i love horses but there's so many moving parts with a cutting horse you have the the cows which are you know a, a moving animal and a factor in there and then you you know when you when you get into the herd and you, you pick out a cow uh there's lots of strategy that goes behind that and then when you drop your reins and then you have to help your horse uh with your legs um and my uh trainer is constantly saying trust your horse and slow down which are two things that I, I, I don't, I'm not a terribly trusting person. And, and I don't move slow. very slow. <laughs> there's nothing so slow about you. It just, I, it just gets reinforced over and over and go. I'm learning to trust when I'm riding and I'm learning to slow down and learning to breathe and learning to just not get, let things get too uh, fast in my head as well. So, but I love it. It's always a challenge. It's impossible to get bored because I don't think anybody ever gets to be, if you talk to a cutter, 
you're not going to ever be an expert. There's so many things. There's some of the greatest guys in the world that, that are incredible showmen that still have some terrible days. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's awfully simple or it could be simply awful. Well, and you compete. I mean, you, you do yeah, this I do. competitively. I do. Yeah. And uh, how often do you, do you compete? Um, it depends. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll compete, uh, Six, seven times a year, yeah, yeah, which is, you know, it's quite a bit um, on top of all of my travel and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't try not to travel too much with the horses, but I, I ride almost, I, I try and ride four or five times a week. I have to drive from Fort Worth to Millsap, but... Um, um, early in the morning. Very early. I'm a, but I'm an early riser, so yeah. I love it. There's nothing like seeing the horse, the sun come up well, on a horse. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I can yeah. only imagine. Well, in travels, I mean, you, uh, you've taken the EO on uh to to i guess broaden your range and and to become mm-hmm. more involved on a not only a local level but on a, uh, a worldwide level i guess to some degree you've you've traveled to the different countries where these events are being held tell us a little bit about that what? um my one of my first you know, they have different they have different i'm on the on the board so i i joined the board so that i can do some traveling and meet other eoers in other countries we travel to the global leadership conference uh, every year and it's held in different parts of the world because it's in 60 countries so not everybody can be traveling you know it's, sometimes it's in asia sometimes in the americas this year it's going to be in cape town and um so i do that and um one of the the my favorite trips is uh they have something called an exploration so i, I generally don't love to travel to someplace really far and sit in a conference room listening to oh, well, i was going to say Oh, I do. I really travel far, far but just sitting in <laughs> yeah, a conference, conference room. room. Yeah. So they have something called an exploration where that country hosts you, and you get to see their country and meet the business owners there, That's which is really cool. It was. I, it I was fascinating. So I, my first one, I just uh, was Jordan. It was near Israel. I had a friend in Israel. I've always wanted to see Israel, and I signed up, and there was not a soul that I knew, and I just packed a bag and went, and I met some amazing people. It was less than a hundred people. Uh, I mean. And then when also you have businesses that are in developing countries uh, that are millionaires, it's, you know, there's a, honestly, there's a millionaire, you know, every other person in, in the U.S. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of wealth here, but when you have a person in a developing country that's got a, you know, a million dollar business, uh, it's really something. I mean, they can really show you the ins and outs of things. So we got to float in the Dead Sea in a section of the Dead Sea that was just for us like not open to the public. We had this Bedouin that in the water, Wadi Rum Desert that we got to watch the sun come up and he brought us a whole slew of camels and we rode out to have tea. And it, it, was, just, it was just one thing after another. Wow. And so I met some wonderful people from the Nairobi chapter and some people from Canada and so Nairobi's doing one. So I signed up for that too. And I love Africa. Africa's my favorite place. It just is. There's something about when you get to a camp and they say, don't leave your room after dark or something may kill and eat you and and it's 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 like jurassic park i mean you hear all the sounds at night oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) there's you know there's nothing like having lions roaring and the vibration in your chest wakes you up and uh it's it's just incredible it's just incredible it's so humbling and the people are beautiful the people are absolutely beautiful um they're very kind and generous and and there's a, a sense of gratitude that i get when i've traveled to some of those places when people have so little and they're still willing to give you what they have yeah. you know i mean really we we have so much to be thankful for here in america makes you appreciate it i mean really really 
do. I mean, I, I was sitting on a boat one time in um, on the Chobe River, and there was a gentleman that he he did uh, he did a lot of the cooking. He made all the breakfast. He was also the bartender, and he took people fishing in the morning. And I was an early riser, and I got up one morning, and and he just didn't look so good. And and I said, you know, hey, what's going on? And and uh, and he said, you know, he said um, cattle for them is a form of wealth. And and he he had uh, th- uh, three daughters, and he says, you know, some lions crossed the river last night into my village, and killed my cattle. And he says I was going to send my girls to college with those uh, three or four or five cows. You know, I mean, we see cows, and we're in Texas, right? I mean, that's nothing to us. But I mean, it was just it just made me feel ill, you know. And and he worked um, three months on the boat. And then he, it took him like uh, two days to get home. He had to walk the last eight miles. And I, I mean, just the most incredible stories of these people. And, and, and some of these young kids, they're, and they're young men in their 20s, and, and they can track a lion, they can serve high tea, they speak five languages, and just the, the nicest people you've ever met. Incredible. Uh, it's just incredible. It just changes your life when you get out there and, 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 you, know, and you talk to people. Yeah. You know, that that's one failing, uh, I have many failings, uh, but one that I really regret is not being able to speak more than one language. Yeah. You know, that that is that is such a loss, and especially when you live in Texas. You mm-hmm. ought to be able to speak Spanish. Spanish yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and I, I kick myself every time, and I, it's one of the things I truly want to do before uh, the, this finishes, you know, before the finish mm-hmm. line I hit, uh, is learn to speak Spanish. Yeah. You know, gosh yeah. almighty, you're never too 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 old to not If you learn. want to get a private coach, maybe we'll go into that one day and we'll find some time to, you know. Yeah, do that. Yeah. You know, what what I really want to do is go down to Mexico and just uh, immerse myself, uh, be in some little town for six weeks and get the coach or teacher and just learn it, you know, mm-hmm. just force myself to learn it. It'd be a lot of fun. Well, so what's on the horizon? What's what's on the horizon, both professionally and personally? Um, personally, I'm looking for another horse right now. Uh, I'm looking for a younger horse. I'm kind of excited. Uh, I have a um, a great trainer, Randy Chartier, and his family. Um, I love being around them. I mean, you know, I don't know if he knows it, but he's a tremendous leader. Uh, I was very fortunate to find them. Uh, and and be in their training program, and I look at Randy, and I'm like, you know, I travel all over the world listening to these speakers, and I read all these books, and I'm like, and he just is. He's just the most encouraging, wonderful person with the m- most amazing attitude, and 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 he and he's changed my life. I don't know if he's no truly knows that, but but he has, and so I'm looking for another horse, and um and and maybe start showing even more. Um, would you keep the horse you have now? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, he just brings me so much joy. He's not the best horse, but my goodness, he makes me laugh. I mean, he just makes me laugh. So, um, yeah, and I look forward to seeing him in the mornings. You know, when I travel, I'll look at his picture, you know. <laughs> good, for, good for you. you know, <laughs> I do. I'm like, I miss his face, you know. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I, re- I really like doing that. But I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, um, I spend a lot of time alone. I'm kind of a you know a lot of solitude. I, I don't need big crowds. I'm I'm a, I'm an introvert. So I, I like spending time alone and being quiet. And uh, you know, it's my goal to see 50 countries. And I think I'm about at 30. Uh, I'm gonna cross off my bucket list this uh, May. Uh, going back to Africa to a camp called Londolozi in the Savi Sands. So that's been on on my, my bucket list. And I moved it up quite quickly because 
I had a friend of ours we had that passed away in forum. Right. And at way too young of an age. And then I was speaking to a, a speaker that I met when I was um, learning chair for forum, for um, EO last year. And <clears throat> he just had his first baby. And I think he was 30, early 30s. And he um, passed away <clears throat> in a random act of gun violence. And I'm like, oh you know, gosh. I'm not going to wait. I'm not waiting. I don't care. You can't. What am I going to do with all this, you know, with the money? I, you have to spend the money. Just spend the money. And you can get make more money if, you know, but you can't make more time. No. So I'm not going to wait. Um, you know, I, I see my mom waiting a lot. And, uh, I, I, and I wish that I could just um, help her with that where, you know, you just, just don't wait. What do you, it never, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be right. It's never going to be you know anything you just you just have to pull the trigger and do yeah. it so londolozi's on my list and um but i'd like to get to 50 countries that's my personal uh goal hopefully i can blow by that even more um and then professionally you know we're looking to, to grow our stores you know i'd like to at least double my footprint um in the next few years so your five stores currently are in the fort worth, yeah, metroplex fort worth Louisville, and one in west plano so and, and there's a lot of opportunity here. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're growing in North Texas like you wouldn't believe. You know, and and you know, for me, um, it's super important to grow slowly. Yeah, you know, it just is well, because I, I think our you brand don't lose that brand. Yeah, yeah, our brand is our people, and I I don't know. Uh, I'm sure somebody know. I mean, Apple's doing it, so you know, they they have wonderful people. So. Um, Maybe next time I see Mark Moses, I'll ask him how to do that. How do we keep our, our brand like Apple and still grow at that rate? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here today, taking time. I know you're very, very busy. Take away from your horse, from your from your uh, stores, from your introvertness, reading books, and, <laughs> and talking to your uh, – Is it what kind of bird? We didn't say. What? A cockatiel. A cockatiel. L- Little Miss Maypearl, yes. Yeah. Yes. I believe she was Paris Hilton in a previous life, yeah. Oh, that yeah. ought to be kind of interesting. She's yeah. very bossy, and she's got me very well trained. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I travel a lot, so I have a lady that I met at the – the, that beautiful Park Veterinary Hospital off of uh, of uh, 30 in Hewlin. And so oh, yeah. she uh, goes there every Tuesday and plays. I, you know, I think it's, for them it's good because it's a, you know, you go to the vet, nothing good's happening. Everybody's got a sad story and they're right. bringing in everyone's stress. And Pro goes and has a play date and, uh, you know, it wears her out. She's like a toddler. So. <laughs> It does, and so then you know she'll sleep it off for the next couple of days, and and uh, and you know it keeps her well socialized while I and then when I travel, um, you know a, a bird's not a great pet to have, honestly. It's just not. They're so social, and and people they lots of terrible things happen to birds. So I make sure that she that gets she her gets, social time. She gets as much her as social possible. time. Yeah, yeah she's good her social time. Well, again, thank you so much, Marcel. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye bye. I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need, and thanks for listening to another edition of Bark Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at parkerlawfirm.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast outlet. See you next time.